Welcome to the Spirit of Praise broadcast coming to you from Tabernacle of Praise Church International, York, South Carolina. I'm Bishop Alfred Jackson. I'm thankful that you've tuned in today. I pray that the message will bless you and impact your life in a powerful way. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the message. That relates to our teaching assignment today. So if you are not standing, join me if you're able. And turn to Genesis chapter 22. We'll start at verse 1. And then we're going to skip down to verse 9. Genesis 22, verse 1. When you have it, please say amen. Beautiful. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, or Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Skip down to verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. For our message today, I want to use as a topic, as a subject, kill your darlings. Kill your darlings. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are astounding. You are incredible. And you are here. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that as we engage in this teaching assignment today, that our eyes and our ears, our spirits will be open to what you have to say. We thank you for your word, O God, your word which endures forever, your word which is the sword of the spirit, your word which never fails, O God. Lord God, as we hear your word, O God, we pray that you will stir our hearts and our minds. You have a word for your people today. And as I stand here as simply a mouthpiece, just a vessel, simply an instrument, I pray, oh God, that you would stand tall, that people will not see or hear me, oh God, but that they will only see and hear you. Have your way in this house, oh God. Have your way in the hearts and minds of your people. We know your word will not return to you void. It's going to do something today, oh God. It's going to accomplish some task in someone's life today. There will be deliverance today. There will be, Lord God, transformation today, oh God. There will be a change and renewed perspective today, oh God. Because you watch over your word to perform it. So perform it today, oh God. We love you. We trust you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let's get to work. Whether they're writing, whether they're writing novels or tiny bits of text in an app, the most skilled and disciplined writers adhere to a principle that keeps them from falling too in love with their own words. It's called killing your darlings. It happens during the editing process when as you're reviewing your written work, you interrogate every paragraph, every phrase, and every sentence to eliminate the filler and fluff so your points are clear and concise for the reading audience. This practice isn't unique to writers. Most creatives, artists, musicians, sculptors, filmmakers, etc., practice some form of killing their darlings. 
They attack their own ideas and presuppositions. They modify and mold, chisel, finesse, and prune until what they're making isn't just good, it's great. It can be an excruciating and painful process because making something, creating something comes from within. It comes from you. It's an outpouring of your soul. It's something that you're attached to, something that you love. But learning the art of sacrificing my precious words has been one of the most valuable lessons that I've learned as someone who writes for a living. When I put pen to paper, or my fingers to the keyboard, my initial ideas are usually half-baked. My first draft will never be my final one. And when I bust out a word that I think is brilliant or write a sentence that I find sensational, that's a key indicator that I should probably get rid of it. I can't afford to fall too in love with everything I write because I get paid to write things that help people use technology. I don't get paid to write for myself. Contrary to popular belief, an extensive and impressive vocabulary doesn't actually make for great writing. It is the writer's ability to think about their work critically and make resolute, sometimes really hard, decisions that makes their work stand out. It's because their focus has shifted from their own personal satisfaction to what makes sense for their audience to consume. It's because they realize and accept that their darlings have to die. For those of us who are the elect of God, for those of us who have submitted our lives to the lordship of the king of kings, the practice of killing our darlings holds special significance. When it comes to being part of the kingdom of God, when we claim our citizenship as heaven and embrace our identity as co-heirs with Christ, we are responsible for occasionally putting to death the things that are precious to us. God desires that we offer our bodies, ourselves, as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to him. That means that every so often, the things we hold onto dearly, the things that capture our utmost attention and devotion, have to die. And just like the writer, who must painstakingly pour over every word, deciding what needs to go versus what should stay, eliminating ideas that seem so great at their inception, but now must be sacrificed for the sake of efficiency and clarity. We who pledge allegiance to the Lord Jesus must be willing to sacrifice the fluff and filler that may distract us from the most meaningful output of our lives, living and looking like Christ so that his kingdom and agenda are advanced. Those darlings have to die. And when I talk about darlings, I'm not just talking about sin in our lives. I'm not just talking about the things that are inherently wrong or obviously contradict God's character. I'm talking about the habits and hobbies that may bring us joy. I'm talking about the music you love, the TV shows you binge, the sports you play, the books you adore, the phone you just can't seem to put down. I'm talking about the things that make you an individual, the things that make you you. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, some translations say dung, that I may gain Christ. Brothers and sisters, we must ask ourselves, is knowing, loving, and following Christ worth more to us than the darlings we adore? Are we willing to consider the things we love lost, garbage, dung, for the cause of Christ? Many of us know the right answer is yes, but I will venture to say that putting this into practice is easier said than done. 
That's because we like our darlings, especially the ones that are not sinful. They bring us joy. They make us happy. They make us feel unique and alive. And they seem harmless. What's wrong with that song? Why can't I watch that show? There's no cussing, no sex, none of the banner sins we love to pinpoint in the church. It's not hurting me or anybody else. It's fine. Yes, it may be fine, but the moment you said you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether you realize it at the time or not, you put your darlings at risk. Choosing to love and follow God represents a radical and provocative lifestyle choice that is completely counter to our self-absorbed and fallen human condition. When we choose Christ, it's no longer us, but him. It's no longer what we want, but what he desires. Our pleasures, passions, and darlings are secondary to the one in whom we live, move, and have our being. Choosing Christ means we fully submit and adhere to the sovereign rule of Jesus in our lives. First and foremost, everything else falls to the side. As appealing as it is for us to have our cake and eat it too, with God, you're either all in or you're not. You either give him your all or you don't. You're either crucified with Christ so that it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives within you, or you hold onto the darling so fiercely that they become your idols. Those good things become your God things. To his chosen people, Israel, the Lord made it clear that he would not play second fiddle to anything or anyone. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, he gives them as the first of his Ten Commandments that they would have no other gods before him. And to us today, God says that there should be no other darlings before him. If I'm serious about following God, then if he tells me to kill a darling, kill it, I must. Just ask Abraham, who we find in Genesis chapter 2, faced with a darling dilemma. Many of you know the story. God tells Abraham to take his son Isaac to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain. Abraham obeys, gathers wood for the fire, leads Isaac to the mountain, places him on the altar, and prepares to kill him. In a heart-pounding climax, the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham, orders him not to sacrifice Isaac, commends his reverence for God, and provides a substitutionary ram for the slaughter. Abraham passes the test, hallelujah, and calls that place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide, having believed, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, that even if he did kill Isaac, God could raise the boy from the dead. And as Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, his unwavering faith in God is credited to him as righteousness, making those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ spiritual descendants of Abraham. It's a powerful and familiar passage that speaks to the power and necessity of faith in God and alludes to the greater sacrifice that was to come in Christ Jesus. But I want to focus on a few key details for the sake of our teaching today. Isaac was a child of promise. He was the hope for a future God told Abraham about years earlier. He was the child the Lord pledged to Abraham and Sarah, and the only child that remained with Abraham after Ishmael's departure. At the beginning of chapter 22, God even refers to Isaac as the son Abraham loves. Isaac was Abraham's darling. And now God tells Abraham to kill the very promise the Lord made to him, the very darling he gave him as fulfillment of his plans to make Abraham the father of many nations. He and Sarah had spent years waiting for Isaac, and now God is saying, let him go. But not just let him go. He's telling Abraham to slay the boy himself and then burn him until there's nothing left. That's what a burnt offering was, utterly consumed by fire. 
aside from his wavering faith and obedience, Scripture doesn't offer much insight into Abraham's emotional and mental state at having received this command from God. And I'm not interested in adding something to the text that's not there. However, Abraham was a man and a father. I'd imagine, at the very least, he might have been a little confused. I'd go as far as to say that he might have even been somber, perhaps a bit melancholy, as he marched the son he loved up to the mountain. He might have had to steady himself and choke back sobs as his darling boy looks to the father he trusts, the man he may respect and admire more than anyone else, and says, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? In that moment, Abraham may have had to stuff down his own agony so that he could confidently answer, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Oftentimes, people read this passage with emotional detachment because we know how the story ends, and we know how it informs our theology today. It's a testament to Abraham's faith, an encouragement for us today to trust God completely. Our vantage point is an advantageous one, but I ask you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes. What do you do when the Lord tells you to kill one of the closest things to your heart, or even worse, kill the very thing he gave you? the hope for a promising future, the promise of a better tomorrow, a calling that perfectly aligns with your gifts, a relationship that seems like the answer to all your prayers, a career that provides for you and your family, a house that matches all your specifications, a blessing that enlarges your territory. These darling things that you've dreamt about and hoped for, perhaps you didn't even ask for but got anyway, and now God wants you to give it all up just like that? Bishop Jackson in February preached about how hope deferred makes the heart sick. If hope that's deferred makes the heart sick, what do you think happens to the heart when hope that is granted is taken away? When the blessings of God seemingly come with a return policy you are completely unaware of? What do you do? I'll tell you what you should do. Like Abraham, if you've walked with the Lord even for a little while, you steady yourself. You resolve that God is able, that God is faithful, that God is good. And you remind and convince yourself that despite what may seem like demented cruelty, God has a purpose and plan because all things work together for the good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so in those moments, with your darling on the chopping block, you grab that knife to slay. Maybe this is controversial, but when I think of Abraham in this passage, I don't think of him as the esteemed father of the faith. I don't think of him as the man who gets a notable shout out in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. I don't think about what he will be. I think about what he is in this moment, a father to a little boy who despite the anguish he may have been experiencing in his heart, looked down at his son laying atop an altar and still grabbed the knife because God said so. In that moment, the only darling on that mountaintop was the Lord God Almighty and Abraham was willing to give it all up for him are you. Most of us know that when it comes to our priorities, the good Christian thing to say is God comes first, that he gets my everything, that I love him more than anything, and for his glory, I'll do anything. It sounds so good and sincere, but putting God first, giving him our all, doing anything for his glory requires sacrifice, a lot of it. I bless God for the ministry and song today. Canton and I did not talk about this beforehand, but it fits, fits so perfectly. Let's be honest with ourselves. Giving things up is hard. And sometimes, depending on what that thing is, it hurts and feels unfair. 
But I encourage and remind you today that God is not cruel, nor is he indifferent. He is not trying to take away your individuality. In fact, he gave it to you. He wants to use you through the context of your personality because that brings him more glory than if we were all the same. And he doesn't want you to be bored or miserable. In fact, he wants you to live life and live it to the full. But despite this, I contend that God is more concerned about you looking like him and reflecting his image in the earth than he is about some of your favorite things to do in your free time. We were created to be the display of his splendor for the praises of his glory. And if that means he has to tell you to get rid of something that may prevent you from becoming that, he will. Yes, God wants good things for our lives, but our definition of good doesn't always match God's definition. We think of good as ease, comfort, pleasure, but good to God is usefulness, availability, and desperate dependence on him. These are the sweet-smelling savors in his nostril. Your darlings are important to you, but I have to tell you, they're not God's primary objective. They are not the focus of his development program. You are. He's growing you. He's molding you. He's shaping you, not your things, not your darlings. Your car, your house, your job, your shoes are inconsequential. For many believers, these things make up the content of our prayers. Lord, bless this. God, give me that. But I urge you to remember what he said in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. God's work isn't about your stuff. It's about changing you so that you'll be more effective, so that he can use you like he needs to use you without the love of your darlings bogging you down and holding you back. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 tells us, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of the Lord lives forever. Your darlings will pass away, but you need to remain. The Lord has need of you, not your things. He'll use it for a time, but when that time is up, it's up. He'll give it to you so he can use you. He'll take it away so he can use you. Your darlings are raw materials in the hands of our creator. He'll use them however he needs to create in you what he will find most useful. In my walk with Jesus, I've learned that the Holy Spirit has no qualms about completely flipping things on their head to humble me if I need to be humbled. If he has to use trials and circumstances to try me, he will use trials and circumstances to try me. If he has to lead me into a desolate place, he will grab me by the hand himself and escort me there. But after I've been tried, I will come forth as gold, refined, purified, and valuable to the kingdom. That's the purpose. He'll do what he has to, break me how he needs to, in order to get the best juice and use out of my life. And sometimes that means the things that I count as gains become losses for his glory. Some critics may say, this makes God sound demented or diabolical. No, that's not it at all. God is purposeful. The more time we spend with God, the more we get to know him, follow him, love him, the less like us we are, and the more like him we become. We become set apart. We become holy. We become useful. That is the primary objective, and the Lord tells us as much in his holy word. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, and we all with unveiled faces who contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, 
Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Our purpose in this life isn't to live it like it's golden. Our purpose is to undergo the most radical makeover and identity reconstruction surgery one can ever experience. It's called sanctification. It's a theological term we use to describe the act of God setting us apart for his special use or purpose. When we accepted Christ, we were positionally sanctified. That is, we were set free from the curse of sin and thereby saved from the ultimate consequences of that curse, which is eternal separation from God. But because we still wrestle in this flesh, we still sin, we've got to be experientially sanctified. That's the practical application of and obedience to the word of God in our lives. So much so, it changes and evolves us, making it evident that we are Christ's peculiar people, not so that we'd be high and mighty, not to be ultra-religious or sanctimonious, but to be effective, to be useful, to be poured out, to do as the Apostle Peter instructs in 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Our darlings, as harmless as they may be, sometimes get in the way. They keep us tethered to our preferences, creating an illusion that we run the show and God is a supporting cast member in a play called This Is My Life and I'll Do What I Want. If we're not careful, those darlings make us less useful and less sanctified than what God requires. That's why sometimes we have to kill them. Here are three reasons doing so should excite us rather than intimidate us. Number one, killing your darlings makes you more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Earlier this month, I listened to a podcast in which Jackie Hill Perry, one of my favorite theologians and apologists, told a story about her husband Preston in one of his favorite video games. For years, the game was harmless. It was nothing. It was just one of Preston's hobbies, something he turned to when he needed to decompress from the stresses of everyday life. I'm sure we all had those things. There was nothing wrong with it until there was. More recently, the game's level of violence began to bother Jackie's spirit. She submitted the matter to the Lord and felt confident that God wanted Preston to stop playing this game. And she was right. On a random day, the Holy Spirit ministered to Preston independently, telling him, it's over, no more gameplay. On the surface, nothing about the game had changed. It was still the same shoot 'em up game it had always been. The game had not changed, but the Perrys had. Jackie and Preston were saved when Preston probably started playing the game, and evidently he didn't experience any conviction about it in the beginning. But as they continued to grow in Christ, as time went on and their relationship with the Holy Spirit deepened, things that were not an issue before suddenly became an issue. And just like them, as we are being transformed into the image of our Savior, some things that we once loved, things that were so dear and precious to us, may have to fall off. Again, I'm not saying God is coming after all your hobbies and that you should, all you should do every day is sit in your house and have Bible study. I'm not telling you to cancel your Netflix subscription, unless you need to. But I am saying that as we continue to mature in the Lord, he may instruct each of us to get rid of some things that we consider harmless or that he considers useless. He may need our attention away from that thing and onto him for a very specific reason that we are not aware of at the moment. Take it from someone who knows from personal experience. Instead of trying to compromise your sanctification, where you hold onto a vestige of a thing God is telling you to give up, and thereby you try to convince yourself that God is first in your life, but really he's not, 
it's best to just hearken unto the voice of our God and do what he says. We see the trees, he sees the forest. He knows the plans he has for us. Maybe instead of turning to that favorite dessert for consolation on a bad day, he'd rather you run into his arms for comfort. Maybe instead of spending time on social media subjecting your mind to the multitude of other people's opinions, he wants you to spend more time learning his opinions. Maybe instead of listening to your favorite YouTube star, he wants you to spend more time listening to him, treating him as the star. Those are just examples. It can be anything and is not the same for everyone. But the point is, if you love him, obey him. The obedience we offer Christ is so much better than the sacrifice, and he yields a much richer reward. If God has identified a darling in your life that you need to kill, trust him and kill it. He may just be trying to get more of your attention, clear more of your mind, open more of your spiritual ears so that he can use more of you. Number two, killing your darlings offers benefits. Humans by nature are loss averse. The idea of having to give something up or lose something, even temporarily, can trigger a personal crisis. Some of us struggle with fasting, even for a short time. I am that someone. Because the idea of relinquishing something precious is unappealing and seems antithetical to our built-in survival instinct, especially if it's food. What we can easily fail to focus on are the benefits we'll obtain if we simply let go. Back in late 2015, I started going to the gym regularly, and I hated it. Many of you know this, but I'm not athletic, so I didn't enjoy running and sweating and jumping on things. <laughs> Cardio hurt my chest. I'm like, I don't want to do this. What? This doesn't make sense. But I kept going. I kept exercising. I kept building stamina and endurance. And at some point, something in my brain flipped, and the gym became a big part of my life routine. I found things about it that I do love, and now it's hard to convince me not to go. <laughs> I'm no fitness buff, but I've uncovered a lot of benefits in being physically active regularly, and I enjoy it a lot. But to get there, I had to push past the momentary loss and sacrifice of time that I wanted to spend doing other things I considered more enjoyable and a lot less arduous. My comfort and complacency were darlings that had to die to unlock the benefits that were on the other side. To some of you, that may seem like a really trivial example, but it's no different than any sacrifice God asks us to make. When God tells us to kill a darling, the benefits may not be immediately obvious, but it's for his purpose and our good. We may not understand what that good is, but he does. Psalm 84.11 tells us that no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. So we know that God wants what's best for us. And sometimes as we go from faith to faith, glory to glory, that means we've got to cut out some things that just can't go with us. But God doesn't leave us without reward or restoration. Just ask my girl Hannah. After years of enduring harsh treatment from her husband's other wife, after being reminded day after day that Penina had what she so desperately desired, which was a child, Hannah wept bitterly before the Lord. She pleaded with God for a son, vowing to give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. Hannah poured out her soul to God, and God honored Hannah's plea. He gave her a son, whom she named Samuel, whose name means heard of God. Samuel was an answer to a prayer. He was a dream 
fulfilled a hope that was granted a darling baby boy. And then Hannah gave him away. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him, she says in 1 Samuel 1.27. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. Hannah nursed and weaned her son between the ages of two and five, scholars suggest, and dedicated him to the service of the Lord. That means he served in the temple with the priest Eli for most of his childhood, only seeing his mother once a year when she and Elkanah, his father, traveled to Shiloh to offer an annual sacrifice. She got what she desired, but chose to live without it to honor a vow she made to God. She gave up her darling. But God, in his goodness, in his loving compassion, did not leave Hannah with absolutely nothing in return for her sacrifice. In chapter 2, verse 21, it says, The Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Hannah, in the short term, lost a darling, but gained so much more later. And that's the God we serve. He loads us with benefits, and many of them we simply can't predict or forecast. All we can do is trust him and know that the Ancient of Days has greater in store for us, that if he's asking to get us to give something up, it's for a great reason and a great recompense. Number three, killing your darlings is a short-term loss that creates long-term impact. Killing your darlings is a personal act, but it has implications that may spread far beyond you. I mentioned this earlier and want to circle back to it now. God's request that Abraham sacrifice his darling son Isaac was a foreshadowing of God sacrificing his own darling son, Jesus. In Genesis 22:7, Isaac asked his father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb. And God indeed provided the lamb. Centuries later, that lamb slain from the foundations of the world laid down his life for his sheep. That lamb who became our kinsman redeemer took away the sins of the world. That lamb who was without spot or blemish became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And just like Isaac was the son Abraham loved, Jesus was the son God also loved. He said as much. When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. He said it again on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. God loved Jesus, but sacrificed his darling to fulfill the greater plan of salvation. Isaac looked up at Abraham and asked his father, where is the lamb for the offering? Thousands of years later, as he hung, struggling to breathe on that rugged cross, I imagine Jesus looking up to heaven and asking, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't tell you what God felt in, the moment, in those moments as Jesus took a final breath for all humanity. But given that scripture and historians record that the ground shook, rocks split, and darkness covered the earth, I'd wager to say he probably didn't feel too great. And yet, he still killed his darling for the joy set before him. That joy is you and me. That joy is reconciliation with our Father. That joy is life everlasting. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that God killed his darling. As much as it probably hurt, as agonizing as it was, I'm thankful that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Despite the love for his son, God had a greater plan and purpose in his mind that he set in motion moments after the fall of mankind in Eden. 
but just like Abraham and Isaac, just like Hannah and Samuel, the story does not end with the demise of a darling. Three days later, Christ rose from the dead with all power in his hands, the first fruits of the resurrection. And because he lives, we too have been raised to new life in Jesus. The death of a darling, the darling, and the benefits that follow changed the course of humanity, impacting the lives and eternities of countless people, including those of us here today. So when you are faced with the prospect of having to kill your darling, when God tells you to sacrifice something that means so very much to you, remember that in your short-term obedience, the lives of people you can't even enumerate could be impacted for eternity. Kill your darlings and do it knowing that the Lord has need of you. Kill your darlings and do it knowing that the Lord prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will be more fruitful. That means it will be more useful. Kill your darlings and do it knowing that God isn't being a mean or selfish bully, but he has plans to use you and you are at your best when you are comfortable with loss. I'll close with the lyrics from Idol, a song on Kirk Franklin's Long Live Love album. Give me your idols, every God that you made. You know the things you love more than me. You'd die if I took them away. Give me your options. Let me be the first one you call. Now you must choose what I am to you, God of all or not God at all. Don't be the person who will die if God takes away your darlings. Be the one who remains doing the will of our Father. Be the one who lives a poured out, useful life that produces a pleasing aroma to the Lord and to the world. Be the one who, when you come face to face with Jesus one day, you can say, I killed my darlings and it was worth it. I was open, I was available, and I was useful. And I'm done. Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all know I gotta take a drink break. I don't talk this long <laughs> without my voice cracking. <clears throat> Amen. All right. Amen. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word, oh God. We thank you for this moment, and we thank you, oh God, that you've brought us to an awareness of greater sacrifice. So I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar, but I will ask you to stand, those of you who are in the congregation. I'll ask us to make altars where we are. There may be a darling in your life that God has been talking to you about before this sermon today. There may be a darling in your life that he just brought to your attention during this message. Or you may not know of anything, but you need to ask him, is there, is there anything that's getting in the way? I encourage you to be honest with the Lord. I encourage you to be vulnerable with him, to trust him, to know that if he's asking you to give something up, to walk away from something, yeah, it might sting in the moment. Oh, but God, the reward is so great. You'll become more useful. You'll become more available. Your aroma, it'll be pleasing instead of putrid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, oh God, for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ministry of Holy Spirit. Thank you for convicting us. Conviction is good for us. Oh, it may not feel good at the time, uh, but it reaps a harvest just like your discipline. So Heavenly Father, if there are things in our lives that we have elevated, things that we've put on a pedestal, oh God, or just things that you say, hey, listen, 
It's time to let it go. Reveal those things to us, oh God. We want to be used of you. We want to be more available, oh God. We want to be more open. So Lord God, we just pray that as you ask us to make this request, as you expose the things, Lord God, that need to go in our lives, that we won't hesitate, that we won't try to hold on, but that instead, oh God, we will trust you, we will believe you, and we will do what thus saith the Lord. Oh God, make us useful. Make us available, broken vessels, oh God, that you can shape, Lord God, on the potter's wheel, Jesus. You have need of us. And so God, we submit those things to you, oh God, and ask that you would burn them up. We ask, oh God, that you would utterly consume them. We love you, Lord. We honor you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Now to those, perhaps you're tired, tired of doing life your way and realizing oh, this is pretty empty. Maybe you've been running, maybe you've been trying and striving and nothing seems to be going right. Maybe you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. We want to give you that opportunity today. Whether you're in the sanctuary, whether you're online, this could be the moment. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Maybe the Lord is, is reaching out to you, nudging you in a certain direction. If that's the case, pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I recognize, oh God, that I am lost without you. I'm tired of trying to do this life for myself alone. I'm tired of feeling like I'm walking alone. I need a savior. I need you. I believe, oh God, that you, you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe and confess today that God raised you, Jesus, from the dead. I'm sorry for my sins. And I ask that you would forgive my sins. Come into my life, Lord. I want a relationship with you. Come, Lord Jesus, and change me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, and it was your choice, an act of your will, I want to congratulate you. You are saved. I want to celebrate you. You are saved. But I also want you to understand there's a lot more in store for you. The road is a beautiful one, but it's not always easy. So you need to be connected with a Bible-believing church. It can be this one. It can be a million other, well, maybe a thousand others. Um, and we can help you find those, whether you are right here in our community in York, South Carolina, or you're somewhere else. Reach out to us on our website topraise.org, that's T-O-P-R-A-I-S-E.org. Or reach out to us on one of our social media channels. Uh, Facebook, we have people monitoring those messages. We will get back to you and we will help you. We will walk alongside you, amen. Is there anything I'm forgetting? All right, well, we're gonna wrap this thing up. Thank you, family. All right. 
now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. 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 Go in power. Go in peace. Go in purpose. I pray that you've been blessed by the message. And if you have, write to us. Let us know how this message has impacted your life. Or if you've made a decision for Christ today to follow Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, write to us and let us know that as well. And give us your information so that we can follow up with you. You may write to us at Tabernacle of Praise at msn.com. That's Tabernacle of Praise at msn.com. Give us your email address or a way to contact you so that we can follow up with you. Also, we would like for you to sow into this ministry. If you've been blessed by this work, by the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the gospel, and you would like to help further this cause, we're not just preaching here in the United States. We are preaching around the world. Through this podcast, our messages are being heard in many places around the world. We are actively working in eight countries in the world, on the ground in Liberia, Malawi, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Guinea, uh, Kenya, and Dominican Republic. So if you'd like to help us in this work, feel free to sow a seed to help further the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the expanding of the kingdom of God. If you would like to give, go to topraise.org forward slash give. Again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Continue to pray with us and for us as we continue to spread this gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. God bless you.